You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Ethics has been called the logic of tragedy. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams. Dr. Abrams specialized in obstetrics and gynecology for over 40 years. He is the former chair of the Ethics Committee of the American College of Obstetricians, served on numerous ethics committees, has taught biomedical ethics, and wrote the book, Doctors on the Edge, Will Your Doctor Break the Rules for You? Dr. Abrams, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. What is meant by the logic of tragedy? What it is, is when you're going to make a decision in which inevitably part of it will be serve a good purpose and part of it will possibly serve a bad purpose, then you're weighing and balancing in a logical manner what is the best answer to this particular problem? Because when you go away from an ethical dilemma, you can't feel that everything came out perfectly. You may say, this is the best solution. I'm glad we got a solution to this. But almost invariably, some good will be done and some evil will accompany it or some good will be left undone, even though all the evil is averted. And it's a logical process to try to get to that conclusion. You acknowledge that when patients ask you if you have time to listen to their stories, you often tell a little white lie when you say, of course. It's evident from your stories in the book how much time you've invested in your patients. So how do you respond to doctors who say, I'd love to spend more time with my patients. I just don't have the time. It's true, and I was fortunate in practicing medicine in an era when we had much less dictation as to quota of patients to be seen or allotment of time for each patient. And my old scheduling technique was so much time for each patient and then a half hour break wide open because it was always filled by people who took longer or less of doing the paperwork that had to be done. People don't have that luxury these days, especially those who work for a corporation of one kind or another, and they are allocated a very limited amount of time to deal with a patient. They also have a great deal of physician extenders that take care of some of the detail. And so the doctor himself or herself doesn't have the luxury. The fees have been diminished substantially. Money is going to administration where it used to go to medical care. There really is no answer to that these days, except you've got to try to make the time or you've got to do some things on your own time. Back in my day, we also on occasion said, this is too big a problem now. I've only allotted so much time. You come back at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, whatever the case may be, and we'll talk about it. How will doctors benefit from reading the stories in your book? They will have confronted some of the problems themselves that I've confronted, and they may have been able to rehearse these ideas in their mind as to what they would do under those circumstances, and that would give them some preparation should they encounter something similar. The same thing goes for patients who read this book. There is a lot of information for end-of-life preparation for a patient in this book. Also for doctors, for example, there was a a case
case for sterilization of a minor. Well, at that time, there was no law that covered it. Well, now in the in the footnotes to this book, I have the methodology, at least in Colorado, for handling that sort of situation. And what support do you offer physicians who later regret decisions they made? Well, we simply try to talk it through, see what the logic is, and see how it can be corrected in the future. There was a very interesting book by a sociologist about, oh, must be almost 20 years ago now, by the name of Bosk, and he spent a year with surgical residents. The name of his book was Forgive and Remember, and he said that the culture of surgical residency was you made a mistake, you could be forgiven if it was not a negligent mistake, but a simple mistake in judgment, but you had to remember it and not repeat it. And so I think that is what we can learn in terms of making errors and trying to correct them and go forward from that point. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams discussing his book, Doctors on the Edge, Will Your Doctor Break the Rules for You? Is there any particular patient that taught you one of your greatest lessons? Yes, and it's one that I did write a story about, too. It was a woman who was pregnant, and she had a fetal genetic abnormality that was almost invariably fatal. Most of these babies died before ever being delivered. Many more who had survived even to delivery died within hours or days after delivery. But very, very rarely one survived. And this lady said to me and to her husband that regardless of this misfortune, she was going to have this baby, if, and she was extremely religious. We went on during the pregnancy, and as we got further along, I proposed to her the possibility of abortion. Actually, I did that as soon as we found the anomaly. That's when she said, no, she didn't believe in abortion. This was what was supposed to happen. As we got further along in the pregnancy, we got to the point where it looked as though we had to discuss the possibility of cesarean section. The reason being that a great many of these babies with this particular abnormality were delivered by cesarean section because they invariably had fetal distress in utero. Now, when you didn't know the diagnosis in advance and you got the fetal distress, you would usually do a C-section to deliver what you hoped would be a normal, well baby. That was the history of this kind of a genetic abnormality. But I said, we know this is not going to be a normal baby with a very small chance of survival, I would recommend, I told her, that you don't undergo a cesarean section for the baby. Her husband didn't want her to undergo a cesarean section either. He did not feel it was worth the risk, even though the risk is very slight, because the chances are the baby wouldn't survive anyway. She, on the other hand, asked me, would you do a cesarean section if this were a normal baby? And I said, yes, I would. And she said, well, I do not believe my baby should be treated any other way. That was a lesson, a very good lesson to me, to respect her feeling 
because she believed, of course, in a life after death and that her baby would be in the arms of Jesus after it died, even if it died in utero. And I had no evidence that that was not so, and she was a fervent believer in it. And it just taught me, again, a little more about patient-centered treatment rather than doctor or medicine-centered treatment. It was not the best medical treatment at all for that case, but it certainly turned out to be the best treatment for that patient in that case. And doctors often must respond quickly and on incomplete information. Give us a 101 course in ethical decision-making under pressure. It really so much depends on the individual case that there are a few premises, as I said, noted before, is respect for patient autonomy, making sure you don't do the patient any harm, trying to do good if possible, and certainly being as fair as possible. This basically is called the Georgetown mantra, and it came from some physicians out of Georgetown, some PhD actually out of Georgetown in philosophy, who gave the four principles for ethical decision-making, which were respect patient autonomy, non-maleficence, do no evil, beneficence, do good if you can, and justice, try to be as fair as possible. And if you analyze these cases in those terms, generally you've done a quick ethical overview. And what's your best advice to doctors to document this thought process to connect the dots? Really, to document it pretty precisely, as I said, but they also must pay attention to the other factors like law, like hospital policy. But if they include all of those things and also their medical thinking, that's the important things to document as they go along. And how well do you think medical students are prepared today to engage in reflective ethical decision-making? I must say a lot better than we were many, many decades ago. Uh, It's part of the curriculum, and often the lectures, the books, the material give case reports. Almost all of them discuss this Georgetown mantra, and they are more prepared. There's more discussion The doctors, uh, their mentors now, are much more steeped in these kinds of ethical thinking. And do you think any more reforms are needed in this area? Just continued education is the best way to go, and trying to teach politicians to stay out of medical business. And tell us about the center where the proceeds from your book. Well, that is a, a wonderful organization that is the only building exclusively dedicated to bioethics and humanities on a medical campus in the country. A lot of them have departments, important departments, but this one is an exclusive one on medical campus because it's a brand new campus in Colorado built from the ground up. And uh, this will have not only a space to teach medical students, but it will also have a forum there for the uh, social meetings uh, where we hope we will get people together to discuss healthcare reform, to discuss Medicaid, to discuss the civic issues that deal with medical care. 
and uh, by the, this way inculcate the same ideas not only into the doctors and the medical students, but into the members of the community that deal with health care. And what's your involvement with the center? Right now I'm on their advisory board. I have been on their faculty that facilitated small breakout groups with their students from time to time to have their discussions during their classwork. Dr. Abrams, thank you for joining us today to discuss your book, Doctors on the Edge, Will Your Doctor Break the Rules for You? I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.